Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how does a US president get impeached? Going to take you back to Watergate. For those of us who weren't around at the time, we think of it as this massively dramatic period in history. Surely it was something that everyone in America cared deeply about and talked about constantly. Once there was a sniff of wrongdoing, it must have been quick, right? The ending of the Richard Nixon presidency. Nope, that's not how it happened. The Watergate break-in occurred on the 17th of June, 1972. Impeachment proceedings began on the 30th of October, 1973, and Nixon didn't resign until August, 1974. At various times during that scandal, there was a bit of apathy, actually, among most of the public. Even after the Senate hearings began, less than 20% of people believed Nixon should have been removed from office. That kind of should frame our thinking about the current process against Donald Trump in the US. We are in the middle of a fraught period of history, but we've kind of got used to it. So this impeachment process may or may not happen, but it certainly will drag on. So let's learn about what we're in store for. To help us in studio with me is the Journal.ie reporter Stephen McDermott. And I'm also delighted to welcome back to The Explainer, Larry Donnelly, Boston attorney and law lecturer at NUI Galway, and of course, our very own political columnist here at The Journal. Stephen, I'm going to start with you on the nitty gritty of what's currently happening um, with Trump. Um, we obviously can't go back too far because there have been calls for impeachment for a long time. For this particular issue, the one that has led to an impeachment process, what started it? Yeah, so I guess everything centres around uh, one word, one country, uh, it's Ukraine. So what sparked everything is a complaint by an anonymous whistleblower who's believed to be a member of the CAA or definitely a member of the US intelligence agency anyway. So they made this anonymous complaint on the 25th of August, which they uh, referred to a phone call between Trump and the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, Zelensky, if you remember, is the plucky comedian who beat the odds to uh, beat Petro Poroshenko in the Ukrainian election this summer. So Trump called him in July to congratulate him on his victory. And during the phone call said something very specific. I want you to do us a favour. Uh, so there's kind of two strands to this favour. The first refers to the Mueller investigation, which, if you remember, is the investigation by the FBI into potential collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia during the 2016 presidential election that saw Trump rush to the White House. Uh, so when he was talking to Zelensky, Trump made kind of some vague comments asking uh, Zelensky to look into uh, aspects of the Mueller investigation. And the Mueller investigation, just to remind people, was looking into... Yeah, it was Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election um, and kind of suspicious links between uh, officials in the Trump campaign and uh, Russia. So just for some context here, Trump has had this kind of, can only say, conspiracy that Ukraine colluded with the Democrats to bring about that investigation in the first place. This is before Zelensky's time in office. So Trump kind of asked Zelensky to talk to his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and to, you know, just dig up some information about the Mueller investigation. But much more pertinently, the second strand of this request for a favour had to do with uh, former US Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, Now, Biden's son, uh, Hunter, sat on the board of a Ukrainian natural gas company called uh, Burisma. Now, during Biden's time in office, he visited Ukraine uh, and essentially asked Petro Poroshenko to fire an investigator who was looking into uh, corruption at Burisma. The reasoning at the time was because Obama and Biden felt that 
the prosecutor essentially wasn't looking into Bureau's, you know, thoroughly or efficiently enough. Eventually, you know, that did happen and the investigation into Bureau's continued. However, Trump has spun this in a different way. The kind of last few months himself and uh, Rudy Giuliani have said that essentially he asked for the prosecutor to be fired to protect his son, Hunter. So... When he's on the phone call to Zelensky during uh, the congratulatory phone call in July, he asked essentially for Zelensky in particular to, in, in a very coded way, dig up dirt and, and look into this request for the prosecutor to be you know, sacked. And he's kind of since alluded as well that the uh, Bidens have taken money from Ukraine somehow. You mentioned that this all began by Trump saying, I want a favour. Was it just, you know, a one-sided favour? Was he looking for a kind of arrangement um, with with Ukraine about this? What do we know about the phone call in terms of the details of it? Uh, yeah, so, well, from the transcript or at least the part transcript because the full thing hasn't been released, it's kind of coded. So Trump talks about all, you know, that uh, the US has done for Ukraine, you know, implying, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars in state aid or in foreign aid, rather, that uh, the US has given to Ukraine to help them. Uh, just before Zelensky was elected in July, Trump ordered Congress to withhold a $400 million uh, payment to Ukraine. So, you know, that wasn't actually mentioned in the call. But, you know, as I mentioned, kind of during the call, Trump's bigging up, you know, US audits done for Ukraine. He actually specifically mentions Germany and says, you know, Germany hasn't done as much for you as we have. Uh, Zelensky's lapping all this up as well. I, if you haven't read the transcript, I'd actually urge you to read it. It's very, very, very interesting. You know, when he asks for a favour, there's the context there is, you know, that he hasn't given this aid. And essentially that, you know, he, he's asking for his favour potentially for the aid to be released to Ukraine. And Zelensky says, yes, of course, we will look into it. A lot of... Um this has to be framed within the context of the upcoming election in 2020. Um, what are people claiming that, that why was Trump going after Biden specifically here? Biden, as we mentioned, is, is you know, the front runner for the Democratic campaign. You know, he's beating Trump in many of the polls. Uh, I guess Trump is sort of afraid of him. He's afraid that, you know, if it's a face up between the two of them in 2020, that Biden will win and Trump will be out of the White House. So by going after, you know, Hunter, he's kind of implicated or Biden's son, Hunter, I should say, he's implicating Biden in this as well. There have been loads of calls for Trump to be impeached for various things since 2016. Why is this the one that ha- got like pushed over the edge and it's actually happening? Yeah, well, much of those calls have kind of been based on the Mueller investigation. You know, that's been ongoing or had been ongoing rather for essentially since the start of Trump's presidency. It's funny, if you actually look, uh, there's a Wikipedia page dedicated entirely to attempts to impeach Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House, has actually resisted that. Uh, her role would be to kind of begin or, you know, as we've seen in the last week, is to kind of begin the formal impeachment process. But, you know, as developments in the Mueller inquiry, you know, uh, uh, developed, she resisted these calls. Essentially, she saw it as a very, very partisan issue that, you know, any attempt to impeach Trump would be, you know, divided down party lines. And in fact, many moderate Democrats themselves were kind of against impeaching Trump as well. And um, polling has consistently shown in the US that actually the majority of Americans are against impeachment. So there's kind of a thought that this would backfire against the Democrats. Uh, there's also a theory among analysts that, you know, a lot of what happened during the Mueller investigation, you know, it was a bit of a drip feed over months and months and months and months and it didn't really spark in, you know, the public consciousness. Whereas what's happened here with Ukraine is, you know, very much over a week. And also it's really, really clear cut. Like we can see there's a phone call, uh, there's a potential, you know, uh, a, a attempt to solicit foreign interference in an election. 
you know, the other aspect of the Mueller investigation as well is that it didn't actually find Trump guilty of any wrongdoing. It didn't touch him specifically, despite all these other people who, you know, were, uh, say, arrested or brought into it. Trump himself wasn't actually touched by it. This is different because it actually involves him specifically. This has come from a whistleblower who is believed, as you said, is a member of the intelligence community. What were they most worried about that had happened on this call? So, yeah, one of the more troubling aspects of this is how the phone call between Trump and Zelensky was dealt with by White House staff afterwards. So the whistleblowers said they spoke to multiple people within the US intelligence community and potentially White House staffers as well, who were not entirely happy with what happened in the immediate aftermath of the phone call. So normally when a phone call takes place between Trump and a former leader, it's recorded and it's put on a specific server, let's call the computer A. What's understood to have happened is White House lawyers directed White House staffers to take it off computer A and put it on computer B. Now, computer B would be very much uh, reserved for... Uh, you know, uh, sensitive intelligence files or that kind of thing. And this is kind of seen as an attempt to kind of cover up or mask uh, what's been in the phone call. The, the specific phrase that the whistleblower used was lockdown. So lockdown details of the call, what was said. Like like I said earlier, the transcript of the call that the White House released is only a part transcript. It actually says that on, on you know, the, the, the document, this is not a full transcript. It's kind of taken by meeting notes or, you know, sort of voice recording software, that kind of thing. So we don't actually know specifically what was said. You know, you asked, well, you know, was there a quid pro quo or was there a deal between Trump? We don't actually know that because the full details aren't in there. Larry, just to move away from the specifics about this Trump case, can you actually explain what impeachment is to to us? Sure. Impeachment is a process that's outlined, uh, at least in some detail, uh, in Article 2 of the United States Constitution. And the crime, I suppose, or what it prescribes is uh, impeachment is warranted for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, Treason and bribery, I suppose, have their own definitions. Uh, Other high crimes and misdemeanors honestly mean uh, what politicians say they mean at any particular point in time. Uh, It's a political judgment as much a legal judgment. But the process begins in the House of Representatives, where there's typically an inquiry uh, of some sort. Uh, And in the process of the inquiry, uh, either one or more articles of impeachment are drafted up uh, and agreed upon. Uh, A vote then takes place in the Judiciary Committee uh, as to whether uh, the article or articles of impeachment should go to the entire House. If they make it out of the Judiciary Committee, uh, then the entire House of Representatives, 435 members, uh, vote on whether the president should be impeached. Uh, And it's a simple majority vote uh, carries the day. Now, that impeachment process is similar to an indictment process. It's accusing or it's saying effectively that there's probable cause to to accuse someone uh, of a crime. If one or more articles gets passed, then it goes to the United States Senate. Uh, where in the Senate, uh, both sides, uh, that is the president and uh, the the accusers, I suppose, as it were, um, have, get to present their case. And uh, when it's a president, it, it should also be noted that federal judges can also be impeached. But when it is the president, uh, the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, 
uh, presides over it. Witnesses are called. They are examined. They're cross-examined. Uh, and then at the conclusion of the process, two-thirds of the United States Senate, that is 67 members uh, of the United States Senate, have to vote to remove the president from office. Now, to date, historically, uh, two presidents have been impeached. No president has been removed from office by vote of the United States Senate. Yeah, to go back to when the votes initially start, what do they use? So say in the House of Representatives, they, they're deciding whether um, impeachment should move on and there should be a trial. What do they use to decide that? Well, they do an awful lot of investigating, and that's what's that's what's happening now. Um, the, the one of the one congressman, uh, Jerry Nadler from New York, who has been investigating. There are six separate investigations into Donald Trump going on that have been going on. Uh, Jerry Nadler had said that his was an impeachment inquiry, uh, even though formally it was not. The decision of the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to ratchet it up to an impeachment inquiry gives these committees uh, more powers, more subpoena powers, uh, more. More ways of accessing potentially damning information. So they can gather up all sorts of detail and all sorts of information uh, to put together credible charges um, that they need to convince uh, other other members of Congress uh, as to their respective merits. Now, what we've seen so far is there, there already is a majority within the House of Representatives, uh, seemingly, who would vote for at least one article of impeachment. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of times there that this is political rather than legal. Why isn't it legal or why isn't it criminal? Well, the, uh, again, it's down to the design of the founding fathers, really. Um, impeachment is, if you have a problem with the president, uh, impeachment is the remedy that they decided upon, or removal from office is the, the remedy they decided upon. Uh, the settled view of the Justice Department is that a president, can, a sitting president, cannot be charged with a crime, uh, and that it has to be outside that process. And once the president is removed from office, or once the president uh, has either been defeated or has served out two full terms, he or she, of course, then can be charged uh, with criminal offenses, and it's been mooted, uh, and I think probably correctly, uh, that Donald Trump could face criminal charges uh, once he leaves the White House. So this was uh, a decision they made. The reason why it's political in nature rather than uh, legal uh, is treason and bribery, as I said, have de- legal definitions. But other crimes, other high crimes and misdemeanors uh, do not have straightforward legal definitions. And those are the terms used to define what's impeachable uh, in the Constitution. So what other high crimes and misdemeanors are depend on what uh, members of Congress believe them to be in a particular instance. And one of the things we're seeing now uh, is some Republicans, in particular uh, Lindsey Graham, who's a very steadfast defender of the president, we're seeing a lot of uh, him being brought to the comments he made back in 1998 during the impeachment proceedings against Bill Clinton, uh, where he said it didn't actually have to be a crime per se. It had to be uh, conduct that, that held that, that, I suppose, held the office up to scorn or didn't do justice to the office of the president. Um, that's being used against him now because it was a political determination for him back then, and it's arguably a political determination for him right now. Yeah. How much of this does just stay within political lines that you know, you said there that the House of Representatives has the numbers. Um, what will happen in the Senate? Will it just be along political lines? Well, this is the key question. I mean, if we turn back to, say, for instance, uh, the Nixon impeachment inquiry, and there was no formal vote 
uh, ever held there by the full bodies of the two legislatures. But however, uh, it's widely viewed that because the evidence against President Nixon was so incontrovertible, that is, that he knew uh, of a break-in by uh, allies of his into the Democratic National Committee and that he was involved, or he at least helped uh, or was involved in the process of covering it up, when that incontrovertible evidence came out, uh, Republicans widely were going to jump ship if this thing went to a vote. They were not going to stand by the president uh, forever and a day. So at some stage, there is a tipping point. There is a breaking point. Political loyalty uh, only goes so far. Uh, And that's why what's going on right now in Washington, D.C. is fascinating. How much more might there be uh, to support uh, impeachment from illegal grounds or from uh, a grounds even that makes a political defense uh, untenable any longer. So there is obviously there there are legal elements to this, but it still is uh, an inherently political determination. And the mass, it always comes down to the mass. The mass, in terms of removing this president from uh, office, uh, would require that 20 Republicans in the Senate uh, jump ship. That's a very very big ask, and there would have to be some kind of smoking gun similar as to what came to light about Richard Nixon uh, in the early 1970s, there would have to be a smoking gun, in my view, to get that many Republicans to jump ship. What was the smoking gun in the the Nixon case? It was a series of tapes, uh, but in particular one tape where uh, the he could be heard discussing uh, in, in I suppose giving some knowledge as to what had happened uh, and some some uh, awareness of what had happened and some involvement in cover up uh, things that he had steadfastly denied uh, up until that point uh, when that came up and other details surfaced uh, again uh, Republicans themselves couldn't defi- couldn't uh, stick by him and the opinion polls were moving very very much uh, against him the one thing that does need to be said though, I think, is that in the 1970s, American politics was, its character was fundamentally different. The two parties weren't a million miles away from each other uh, as they are now. Uh, There were a lot of liberal Republicans back then. There were a lot of conservative Democrats back then. So it probably wasn't as intensely political and as intensely politicized uh, as it is now, because uh, there were were people in the the Democratic Party, for instance, who would have had broad sympathy towards Richard Nixon from a political point of view, whereas there would have been some in the Republican Party who would have been opposed to Richard, a lot of Richard Nixon's politics. So things weren't as clear-cut. They weren't as black and white uh, or, as I suppose to use contemporary pilots, uh, as red and blue. And I think that's one of the real profound shames of American politics. Yeah, now that we're on memory lane, let's look back to the 90s and, and how Bill Clinton survived this process, if you can say survived in, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I you know, look, you know, Bill Clinton. There were there were two articles of impeachment uh, were brought uh, against Bill Clinton. One was for lying under oath. Uh, one was for obstruction of justice, and this all came to do came about really as a result of uh, an improper and I think uh, really unfortunate at every level uh, sexual relationship with Monica Lewinsky, who was a White House uh, intern. And the context in which this unfolded is really interesting because the all this was going on. Uh, yet at the same time, one of the strong advocates for uh, impeachment was Newt Gingrich, then the then House Speaker. He himself. 
was in the was in the midst of carrying on an extramarital affair at the time, and he actually had to resign uh, his speakership as a result. As did his successor as speaker, Bob Livingston, uh, who also had uh, committed marital marital infidelity, which came to light in the process. So ultimately, the votes were held uh, after the midterm elections that year in 1998, and Republicans had lost seats, probably directly because the American people were not on board with this uh, as what they saw as sexual transgressions. So when the votes for impeachment were held, uh, this was December uh, in 1998, uh, they they did pass in the House uh, by rather slim majorities. Uh, So he was impeached by the House of Representatives, both on the issue of uh, perjury that is lying under oath uh, and for obstruction of justice. Uh, It then went uh, to the United States Senate, uh, where uh, the the trial, I think, was kind of uh, ridiculous in a sense, uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, immediately the then 96-year-old president pro tem, that is the longest-serving senator, Strom Thurmond, uh, a former segregationist, opened the trial before the formal trial began, uh, said what everybody knew, which was, it takes two-thirds to get rid of this fella. We don't have it. Let's get it over with. Um, so the, the trial in the Senate was really a foregone conclusion because they knew they were nowhere near uh, the two-thirds margin uh, that was needed to, have to, to get uh, President Clinton out of office. One wonders if history will repeat itself here. Stephen, we've heard there about the Clinton impeachment and a lot of the details about the Nixon impeachment. But we have to go back a little bit further um, for the other time it happened, and that was with Andrew Johnson. What went down back then? Yeah, so Andrew Johnson was the 17th president of the United States, and in 1868, he found himself at the centre of an impeachment inquiry uh, after he fired his Secretary of War without the approval of the Senate. So an impeachment inquiry was launched with the House of Representatives in a couple of days. It was a very quick turnaround. And uh, there was an eight-week trial held between March and May in the Senate that year. Johnson survived that by just a single vote. So it's a two-thirds majority required to impeach. Johnson had 35 to 19. If he'd had 36 to 18, he would have been out of there. Larry, I'm conscious in a in a criminal setting, there are a lot there are lots of rights and rules that, you know, people who are accused um, have have on their side, I guess. What are the rules um, when it comes to what the House can do, what the Senate can do during a trial and what even at the moment committees can do in terms of investigation? Um, You know, I would call it a quasi judicial proceeding. It's a judicial proceeding in one sense, and it isn't uh, in another. In another, I mean, the Supreme the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court presides over it. Um, there are, you know, there is examination, there is cross-examination, there's the right to objection. Uh, both sides will be represented by, by legal counsel. Um, so th- there is that element of it. But one could not say that this is akin to a straightforward uh, jury trial. First of all, uh, you've got 100 people uh, who are there who are looking on whose principal objection, whose principal objective in many instances uh, is not to uh, ascertain guilt or innocence per se, but politics is and remains uh, a huge aspect of this. What's the next step going to be? Democrats haven't nailed down a date for an impeachment vote in the House yet, but they're most likely want to get this over and done with very soon. As we said, it's pertinent to the 2020 election because it involves Joe Biden, who, while he hasn't secured the Democratic nomination yet, is very much the front runner to do so. And they kind of want to avoid this becoming a huge election issue. Uh, the House Judiciary's panel is already looking at the article of impeachment, as Larry mentioned. Uh, 
and members of the House Intelligence Committee also hope to interview the whistleblower over the next couple of weeks. Interestingly enough, uh, Rudy Giuliani has also been subpoenaed. Uh, he actually admitted already as well that in September with an interview at CNN that he had been looking into uh, Joe Biden and a link between a, a bribery scheme with Ukraine. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Yeah, I mentioned in my introduction that this that this, these aren't quick processes. Like they, they can drag on for years. Like, will this actually happen? Will there be um, a full impeachment process of Donald Trump? Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a very good question. Uh, in terms of speed, I do expect that this is going to be swift, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the speaker has decided to confine it to one article. That is, they're going to put together everything they can on this one article with respect uh, to the Ukraine. Ukraine, and they're going to produce this as quickly and vote on it up or down uh, as soon as they can. Uh, and I think that's because she knows, uh, Nancy Pelosi knows uh, that this could backfire politically on the Democrats, just the way it backfired on Republicans in 1998. Now, in terms of the conduct of the trial, uh, if there only is one article, um, then that, I suppose, it narrows the scope of proceedings. Uh, how long this might go on is anybody's guess. So one of the things that's been mooted out there, uh, two things that have been mooted out there, one is that uh, on the one hand, um, because the Ukraine incident will shine a light upon Joe Biden and his son and their activities, uh, that this could uh, do damage to his political candidacy for the Democratic nomination. Uh, on the flip side, uh, the reality is that a number of the other leading contenders uh, are members of the U.S. Senate. If they're tied up uh, with a long impeachment trial, that means they can't be out on the campaign trail uh, doing all the things they need to do. So the timing of this is strange. So in terms of it being a long proceeding, uh, I'm not sure that's in anyone's best interest. And at the end of the day, this is a political process and politics is going to drive everything. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Larry, for explaining everything to do with impeachment to us. We will be watching closely. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. A big thank you to Larry and Stephen for their work. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes. Last time, we looked at the frankly bizarre Quinn Industrial Holding story from Derry Lynn. And also in the back catalogue are episodes about the Brexit backstop and why chemsex is in the news right now in Ireland and the UK. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time. <laughs>